I am so glad that God loved the world and sent Jesus. He loved the world so much because we needed to be rescued. And because of that, God sent his son to pay our debt in order for each one of us to be able to live abundantly now and when we close our eyes eternally. I am so glad that James wrote a letter which is available to all of us. James wrote his letter to his Jewish brothers and sisters who were hurting. See, James knew the struggle. But he also knew that if folks would listen to his brother, Jesus had the answer. James is both passionate and practical about life. The life that his half-brother offers to all. He knows that real faith helps us put boots on the ground to literally do life. James grew up with Jesus, but only came to faith after Jesus was resurrected. Quickly, James became part of the early church leadership team and was a pillar of the church. James did have it good. He had a great background in the Older Testament, and he also grew up with Jesus, the best of both worlds. He heard Jesus teach. He knew that his big brother brought the good news. That Jesus is actually the good news. And that the king had arrived. Finally, the Messiah. That they had been waiting for so long. James did have some advantages over us. But he was on the same journey as we are on learning from Jesus so that we might be able to live like Jesus. James cuts right to the chase in his letter, sharing that genuine faith in Jesus transforms us, literally changes us. And when that happens, it shows. People notice, and God is magnified. If you've been with us in our study of James, we've covered some key things already. James is found in the New Testament way near the end. But in this book, James shares with us that genuine faith shows in the midst of trials and temptations. That you can have joy no matter what your circumstances are. He's also mentioned that genuine faith shows because our obedience makes us salt and light in a dark world. We act differently. Genuine faith shows in our spending habits and how we use our words. And last week we focused on how genuine faith means we treat others like God does. There's no prejudice. Today, James encourages us 
to be courageous. To be courageous in light of the times because Jesus is coming back. Let me pray before we go to James. Almighty God, the maker of heavens and earth, we know that you are a merciful God, a gracious God, a just God. But today, Father, we're struggling. We're fearful. It doesn't feel like we have much control. We like control. Father, we know that you are in control. But sometimes even that makes us nervous. We come before you this morning humbly. We recognize your power and your authority We know that your ways are best. We ask for your protection. We know, Father, that you care about every individual person. And we know that we can come under the shelter of your wings. We also know that you desire repentance from everyone who is running from you, trying to find life apart from you, trying to do their lives, live their lives without you being involved. We know that you want our world to wake up and that you have, well, the water that will quench all of our thirst and the bread that will take care of all of our hunger. We ask you, Father, that you would breathe your spirit of peace in the fear and the turmoil within us. We ask you, God, that you would give us wisdom and direction for this journey. We pray even today that you would quiet our hearts that we might hear and respond to you as we worship and open your word. Lord, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray all this in your amazing and powerful name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. As I mentioned to you that we've been in the book of James for a while, and we are trying to go through James and pick out portions that will help us on the journey. Today, we're in James chapter 5, starting at verses 7 through 11. If you don't have your Bibles or flat screens open, you can look on the screen behind me. But we're going to start off James chapter 5, verses 7 to 11. Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage, for the coming of the Lord is near. 
Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance. You can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. James knew that the folks that he was writing to were going through awfully hard times. Persecution, loss of job, fear for the future. In fact, it sounds a little bit like today. And so James actually gives us a word of encouragement today. He's speaking to, well, these Jewish believers, those who have put their faith in the Messiah. And he's saying, hey, your future is secure. Actually, what he's saying is this, take courage or be courageous. I know you feel like giving up, but the Lord's return is near. Jesus is going to come back again soon. Now, he doesn't go into a whole lot of details here, but as we open up the scriptures, especially the New Testament, the Apostle Paul really talks a little bit more about what it's going to look like when Jesus returns. Paul gives us great hope and fills in some of the blanks. Let me read for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse 51. Paul says this, Let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies will be transformed into immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, the scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. To summarize that, Paul is just kind of assuring those folks who were at the church in Corinth and just reminding them and saying, hey, all of those who follow Jesus, your future is amazing. Jesus is going to come back. 
And you will be ultimately transformed someday. So even though, well, life looks hard, and maybe some decisions in the future seem impossible, Jesus said this, I'm coming back. If for some reason you die before I come back, you're going to also be transformed. But all those who are living, they, well, they're going to also change completely and spend eternity with me. Paul talks a little bit further, gives us a little bit more clarification in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. He's writing to a church at Thessalonica. And they were all worried, really. What happens when you die, Paul? And this is his answer. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to believers who have died. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Interesting that Paul talks about grieving and loss and pain. But those that do have Jesus, they grieve differently. They're going to miss their loved ones, no doubt about it, but, but there's hope. They will see them again. And this is the blessed hope of a Christian's funeral. Paul continues to write this. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have already died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout and the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from the graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on this earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. What hope! In spite of what's going on, in spite of the pressures, in spite of the fears, this is what every believer can look forward to. If they die, they're going to be raised from the grave. If they're living, they're going to be transported in this unbelievable mass, this multitude of people will meet Jesus in the air. Then Paul ends with these words in this verse. Verse 18. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. So James, he tells his brothers and sisters to be patient. We know life is hard. We do. But remember who is in charge. This may not make sense to you, the suffering, the hurt, and the pain, the loss of jobs, and the loss of life. But remember, Jesus is going to return. It will happen. In fact, James says, 
Look at Christ's return like a farmer looks at his fields. A farmer plants. And then the rains come. And eventually, the plants begin to grow. But for a long time, the field looks rather dead. For a long time, it doesn't look like anything really is happening. But then it does. And the planting and the rain bring forth a harvest. So he says, in spite of hard times when things don't even look good, doesn't even look like anything's happening, remember, just like the farmer, Jesus is going to return. And then he uses an illustration, and and some of you have read the book of Job, but he uses Job as an illustration of somebody who literally, literally is patient. So let's look at Job, all right? Now, I don't know how many of you have recently read the book or understand a little bit of what Job went through, but Job is found in the Old Testament. It's right before Psalms, which is almost right in the middle of your Bible, And it's 42 chapters long. The majority of it is poetry. There's a few chapters of prose. But what happens in this book really blows your mind. We learn that Job was a righteous man. That means he's a man who feared God and he stayed away from evil. He loved God with all of his heart. But in just a few chapters, this man who loved God lost his wealth. And the scriptures tell us he was a wealthy man. Lost all of his wealth. He lost all, well, just about all of his laborers, his workers, his staff. He lost almost all of his family. The only one left was his wife. Eventually, he lost his health and his friends. The only person that was left to Job was God himself. After you read this book and you read the dialogue between Job and God and his friends, you wonder, why does evil exist? Why is all the pain and the suffering in our world? Nothing really made sense then if you read this. And it's hard, literally, to make sense of it today. One of the commentators said in my studies, and I think he said it well, in Job's story, we learn that circumstantial explanations are not enough to form the foundation of our faith. But a personal encounter with God obliterates the need for all of them. You see, Job knew about God before he lost all of this. 
He endured it, but then it finally happened. His relationship transferred from his head to his heart. In fact, at the end of Job, in chapter 42, verse 5, Job writes this. I had only heard about you before, but now, but now, after all this pain, after all this agony, after all this loss, I have seen you with my eyes. This was Job's moment of clarity. Job went from a theological understanding of God to meeting God, which is very different than studying about God. One of the psalmists remind us of the joy that one can have as we spend time with God in spite of the circumstances. In Psalm 1611, the psalmist writes this, you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. What James is saying in spite of the heartache, in spite of the hurt, in spite of the tough times that you're going through, be patient. Job was patient. His losses were unbelievable. But at the end, he had God, which was so much better. And then in James... um, It seems like he just sticks in a verse. And he says this. Also, don't be grumbling about each other while you're waiting. While you're waiting for Jesus to come back. There's a lot of things you may not understand. But God is going to judge you on how you treat others. So continually be kind, gracious to these folks that you live with, that you hang with, that you work with. Don't be grumbling about that. Every one of us have times of hurt and discouragement. Encourage one another. Don't grumble about that. You know, just about every week that we've been in James, I've taken the opportunity to, well, Go back especially to Matthew, to Jesus' words. Remember I had shared with you that James was so influenced by Jesus, his older brother, and what he taught, even though he didn't come to faith till later. But James' brother Jesus talked about the future. James just mentioned it. So I thought I'd go back to Matthew chapter 24. And in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus literally describes a harsh, godless world and the importance of being ready for Christ's return. So I'm going to read Matthew chapter 24, starting at verse 30, 31, and then jump to verse 36 for just a little bit. And this is what Jesus said about the end times. 
And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a mighty blast of a trumpet. And they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. And then down to verse 36. However, speaking about this return... No one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time that Noah entered the boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That's the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in a field and one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. So you too must keep watch. For you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. Jesus ended by saying this. You must also be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when he's least expected. Jesus reminded that He was going to come again. And he would return as king, powerful, and establish his reign. Jesus ushered in the kingdom of God, but ultimately will experience his total reign when he returns. The apostle John also helped us fill in some of the blanks of the end times and when Jesus would return, especially in Revelation. But that's going to be a message for another time. Because where I want to go right now is actually to Matthew chapter 25. We just read some texts out of Matthew 24. But it's really interesting to me that Jesus followed up his long message and sermon on the end times in chapter 24, with three parables in Matthew 25. Three stories to try to help us understand just a little bit of what the kingdom of God might look like. The first story he talked about in Matthew 25, well, were about ten bridesmaids. Now, we don't understand completely the culture here, but the story goes like this, is that there were ten bridesmaids, and they knew that the bridegroom was going to come and take them to the wedding. Their responsibility was to be ready and have their lamps filled with oil. Well, five of the girls listened really well. But five of the girls didn't. 
They thought they would have time to go get the oil, and they thought that there wouldn't be any problem, and they would have some kind of a warning when the bridegroom would come. Well, as Jesus told the story, the bridegroom did come. And five of the girls who had oils in their lamps, they were ready and prepared to go with the bridegroom. The other gals who didn't have the oil, they said, hey, can we have some of yours? And he said, no, we won't have enough then. We're ready, we're prepared. So five went out to Walmart and tried to find oil. They found it, came back. But the bridegroom had already gone. Jesus literally told this story to get across one point. And the point was this. Be prepared and keep watch. Because you never know when Jesus is going to return. Then he told a parable about three servants. In the middle of chapter 25 of Matthew. And literally he began to share this story and said, there was a man who owned some property. But he was going to leave, and so he called three servants together. And he gave these servants, well, money to invest. And said, invest this, and when I return, we'll see how well you did. Well, one person the first person, who received, let's say, $5,000, five talents, five of something. He went, and the scriptures tell us that he invested it well. Another person was given two talents or $2,000. And the scripture says that he took that money also and went and invested it. But there was one person. He was only given a thousand. But he was afraid of the master, so he went and he buried the funds. No one knew when the master was coming back, and no one knew what kind of investor or, or what kind of uh, dividends would come from the investments. But eventually the owner came back and called the servants together. And the first one told the master how much that he invested in the return that came back. And the master said, this was amazing. This is wonderful. You are a good and faithful servant. I am so grateful that I gave you money to invest. The second one did the same. It was less, but this master gave exactly the same compliment and said, I'm so grateful again. Even though I gave you less money, you invested it well. You are a faithful servant. And then the last one, the last one, told, G, or, sorry, told, told the master that he was afraid of the master and that he didn't want to invest So he went and he hid it. And he brought back the original amount. But the master was livid. The master was so upset. He says, how could you do this? 
Why didn't you invest? I gave you these funds to do that. And all you did was waste it. All you did was bury it. You didn't even use it. And the point of this story is this, is that God gives each one of us talents and says this, is that I'm going to come back. I'm going to judge you. You never know when I'm going to come back. So invest well. Use what I've given you so that you will be complimented and rewarded rather than punished. And then there's a final parable about a judgment. And there is some debate about this judgment. But in this parable... There is a judge who, well, receives all of the nations. And basically what he says is this. I'm going to divide you on my right hand and on my left hand. And what's so interesting is although... I'm not going to go into the specific timing of this judgment. What is clear is this. Is that people were honored if they showed genuine faith by making a difference to the poor and to those who were hurting in their society to the sick. Literally, they were able to go and care for them. And the judge said this, this is amazing. You took care of people who many people didn't. And I want you to experience my reward in my presence. But there's others that thought, wow, they were pretty good. But they didn't care for the poor. And they didn't care for the sick. And they didn't care for others well. And the judge basically said this. Hey, depart from me. Depart from me. You did not represent me well on this earth. It sounds a whole lot like James to me. James says this, if you have faith in Jesus, it changes you. People will see it. Your words and your actions will show it. In fact, it's pretty amazing. Because in light of what's happening in our country and in our world, we're going to have an opportunity to be salt and light. We are going to have an opportunity to be able to represent God well as we care for others. It may look different for everybody. But I think, again, those who walk with God treat others differently. So what does all this mean? Well, Life is hard. Right now, it's really hard. And the future looks really dismal. 
Yes, the stock market may come back. And yes, you may not lose your job totally. And yes, uh, you can fill in the blanks. But life really is hard. But life is also short. And Jesus is coming back. The good news is that Jesus is coming back. Be patient. Keep listening to God. Keep walking to God with God. But Jesus is going to come back. And this is good news. Moses wrote a psalm. In Psalm 90, he said this. Lord, teach us how short life is. Life really is short. In James chapter 4, a passage that we have not looked at yet. But James said this. How arrogant to think that you can literally plan for tomorrow. You never know what tomorrow's going to look like. You don't know if you're going to get sick. You don't know if you're going to have an accident. And you don't know if the coronavirus will attack. But James says this. is saying, trust God. Trust God in the midst of it. You can plan, but follow it up saying, hey, if God wills, this will happen. If God desires, this will happen. In John chapter 16, right before Jesus was crucified, he said this to a group of disciples who literally... We're listening to his words for the last time. He knew they were afraid. They knew that he was going to be crucified soon. And this is what Jesus told his disciples. John chapter 16, verse 33. I have told you all this so that you might have peace in me. You're going to experience peace in spite of all the circumstances. Here on earth, Jesus said, you will have many trials and sorrows. Our world is broken. But take heart, disciples, because I have overcome the world. My presence is enough. Not only will you be able to live abundantly now in spite of the situations and circumstances, but you're going to live eternally with me. That is so good. That is so wonderful. That is so powerful. So James, he writes to a group of people who are hurting so badly And just reminds them that be patient. Recognize again who's in authority. You may not understand your situation. You may not understand all the hard times that you're experiencing. But God's ways are not our ways. 
His thoughts are not our thoughts. And we will have an opportunity to be able to live life full now. Enjoy eternity forever later. So the prayer is, Lord, come. Come. Come soon, Lord.